Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Every Square Inch. Thank you for your patience as I took an extended break. I was planning on taking a break, but it was extended more than I expected for different reasons I won't go into. Let me begin with a word of thanksgiving. There's just no way to respond to all the feedback we received in response to our series on race in America. It's, it's Honestly, it's been overwhelming. I've heard from people all over the country, really all over the world. And so I'm just going to let this be my official thank you to everyone for your encouraging feedback. And I'm just so thankful to God that uh, that series has uh, proven to be a helpful resource for so many. As a follow-up to that series, by the way, um, you can visit our church's website, tcpca.org, or actually I'll just give you the direct um, link, tcpca.org slash one step, uh, O-N-E-S-T-E-P. Um, you can go there for some follow-up content. Uh, we, we took the series and we turned it into a YouTube series with some graphics. We also have some kind of applications that you can do that we're challenging our church to do, but you're welcome to join in with us. So yeah, it, 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 we were overwhelmed with the response. And not surprisingly, it also led to a lot of follow-up questions. Uh, again, there's just no way to fully address each of the questions, but I do think some follow-up is warranted. So what I'm going to do is uh, pick up a topic that I think encapsulates the predominant theme within most of the questions, and it has to do with America and specifically its relationship to Christianity. Because I went so in-depth into America's historical sin, a sin that many Christians sadly perpetuated, and I was honest about that. Because of that, it's not surprising uh, that it left a lot of people uh, kind of bewildered of what to do with America. So perhaps I'll single out one question and let that kind of be our guide for this discussion. Here's the question. This person said, you said, and then they quote me, Uh, from the podcast. You said, I do not accept the all or nothing fallacy that says America is either perfect or evil. I can espouse the greatness of America and I can say America has a race problem, end quote. So that's, that's what I said. Then this is what they said. Would you be willing to help me understand that balance more? I love my country and yet I'm seeing some shameful things about my country that I hadn't seen before. As a Christian, what should I do with America? Great question. And I think by exploring that question, a lot of other questions that I received will be addressed in some way. So on one side, you have the New York Times 1619 Project, which essentially uh, retells the American story through the lens of American slavery. And its conclusion is nothing less than America is a systemically evil project that must be reevaluated as such. And through that lens, the only appropriate application is really cultural plunder. I mean, just tear the whole thing down and start over. Then on the other side, you have the uh, MAGA, the the Make America Great Again doctrine of American exceptionalism with a, uh, one could only say, beatific vision of America as this divinely appointed force of good in the world. And through that lens, the only appropriate application is that we must recapture this historical vision of America's greatness and glory. So the former, uh, the 1619 Project, ignores America's virtue, and the latter, the MAGA movement, ignores America's failures. 
Now, I believe Christians should reject both of those extremes. The problem, however, is that because these extremes seem to be the only two options, culturally speaking, we are left not knowing what to do with America. And so what I want to try to present is another way forward, a way to uh, view the United States of America not through the lens of the 1619 Project nor through the lens of MAGA, but through the lens of the Christian worldview. And I'll make the task even simpler by answering the question of questions. Is America a Christian nation? I think if we discuss that question, it will help answer many questions that have come our way. Now, my answer to whether America is a Christian nation is that depends on what you mean by a Christian nation. In one sense, absolutely not. And a Christian nation should not be our ambition. In another sense, absolutely yes. And a Christian nation is what we should be striving for. Now, I'm going to devote a podcast to each of those perspectives, and I think it will help um, answer the bigger question. Let me explain in this episode why America is not a Christian nation. First and foremost, it must be said that no nation is a Christian nation, at least not in the literal sense. That's not to say that it hasn't been tried. It certainly has, but it doesn't work. The most famous example would be Constantine making Christianity the official religion of the Roman Empire, and history shows how poorly that turned out. But the more modern example, and the one uh, that the American Revolution was revolting against, would be the British Empire under the banner of Christianity as the constitutionalized state religion. An often neglected tenet of the Protestant Reformation was its view of the state. Calvin, even more so John Knox, his disciple, Presbyterians trace their heritage to John Knox, he firmly believed that the church had no king but Christ. And so the idea that the king of England served as the head of the church was anathema. Thus, the uh, English Puritans and more dramatically, the Scottish Presbyterians revolted against the idea. And an overlooked dynamic of the American Revolution was how much this revulsion to the king as the head of the church played into it. So contrary to popular belief, the separation of church and state was not a newfound radical secular idea, but a deeply theological conviction. And we will get into that in more detail in the next episode. But speaking less historically and more theologically, the idea of a Christian nation is simply not biblically supported. That's not to say that Christianity is politically indifferent. One of the biggest misconceptions about Jesus is that he was not a political figure. Jesus rightfully understood was actually a political revolutionary. Now that might seem strange when you read the life of Jesus because it would seem that he is wholly unconcerned about the politics of the day. But do not misunderstand his lack of concern as indifference. It's just that Jesus thought bigger than worldly politics with a political philosophy that transcends worldly politics. Jesus wasn't partisan, but he most certainly was political. Jesus proclaimed the kingdom of God, a kingdom that cannot be contained by uh, conventional borders of tongue, tribe, and nation, but instead a transcendent kingdom destined to redeem all earthly kingdoms. So the mountain upon which Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount was a common location for political revolutionaries seeking to rally 
uh, support for their cause. And it's not an accident that that's where Jesus went to proclaim the ways of his revolution. But of course, what he proclaimed in that sermon is the very antithesis of what we come to expect from political revolutions. He blesses the meek, the merciful, the persecuted. He commands that we love our enemies and turn the other cheek. In fact, he teaches that the real enemy is not external, but internal. In short, he upends the idea of conventional power and change. And the unconventional movement likewise manifests itself in unconventional ways. Its aim is not to become a particular nation, but to infiltrate every nation as redeeming, he called it, salt and light within every nation and culture. Thus, the visible manifestation of his kingdom is not a particular country or culture, but the universal church that Jesus established. The word for church in Greek is ekklesia. Ekklesia was a word given to uh, the political assemblies in Greek culture. And so even the word church is a politically charged word. So if there is a Christian quote-unquote nation, then it would be the church that transcends every nation. In fact, in Scripture, the church is referred to as a holy nation whose members have their citizenship in heaven. So biblically speaking, there just isn't a category for a literal Christian nation. Thus, we must say that America is not one. Now, if you define a Christian nation away from the literal sense of the term and ask whether America is a nation with Christianity as its foundation and um, oriented around Christian assumptions, then we can have that discussion and we will in the next episode. But before we get there, let's linger here for a moment around this notion of America as a Christian nation. I think most of my audience uh, would have the wherewithal to not designate America as a Christian nation in the literal sense. But I'm really, really concerned that many Christians, particularly speaking honestly, conservative Christians, continue to subscribe to an uncritical arrangement between American patriotism and the Christian faith. Now, this is nothing new, but with the growing uh, cultural unrest and divide, I fear the Christian faith is becoming increasingly weaponized for political gain. A couple years ago, I had the honor of attending the National Prayer Breakfast in D.C. It was a powerful bipartisan event that celebrated the Christian faith, its important influence in our culture and so forth. And then, as is custom, the president got up to offer his remarks. So after an hour of speeches and prayers focusing on Jesus as the Savior, I was struck by President Trump's remarks that focused on himself as the Savior of the Savior in America. Does that make sense? Meaning his words, they had this uh, messianic flavor, uh, posturing himself as the last defender of Christianity against the radical left's agenda to remove Christianity from our culture. At one point, he even said something to the effect of, I'm your defender, you can trust me, I'll never let you down. Now, this type of rhetoric is nothing new for President Trump, right? I mean, Trump's going to Trump. But what struck me was the resounding amens and applause coming from the largely evangelical audience. It was honestly, it was disturbing. Now, again, you might say, well, that's Trump, you know, Trump's Trump. But let me, let me play a more recent clip for you 
of Vice President Pence, who is regarded by many as someone who, unlike Trump, does have a sincere and thoughtful devotion to the Christian faith. In his recent Republican National Convention speech, he quoted Hebrews 12, which, if you don't know, says this, Let us run the race marked out before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Except that Pence chose to take some liberties with that verse, and the liberties are very telling. Let me play that clip for you. So let's run the race marked out for us. Let's fix our eyes on old glory and all she represents. Let's fix our eyes on this land of heroes and let their courage inspire. And let's fix our eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith and our freedom. And never forget that where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. That means freedom always wins. So fix our eyes not on Jesus, but on old glory. If for those of you who don't know, old glory in our culture is the American flag. Fix our eyes on old glory and all that she represents, meaning the American patriotism that that flag represents. Fix our eyes on the American flag and American patriotism, American heroes, and let their courage, not the courage of Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross, but the American patriots and their sacrifice for the country, let that inspire us. Friends, this type of language must be condemned. And yet far from being condemned, my fear is that American Christians actually celebrate this as a form of orthodoxy. But here's the thing. This is actually nothing new for American Christianity. It's been in the DNA of our faith from the beginning. The Puritans who first brought Christianity to our land, they did so with what can only be labeled as a misplaced eschatological expectancy. So they were fleeing the crown, the Church of England, the lawlessness of English culture. They sought to establish a new society built upon strict adherence to God's law. But they believed that this society was not just for them. One of the neglected aspects of Puritan thought is just how central eschatology was to their theology. And this eschatology, this eschatological obsession, deeply informed their mission in the new world. They viewed themselves as divinely appointed by God to establish a holy city that would prepare the way for the coming kingdom of Christ. In one famous sermon, the Puritan project was labeled as an errand in the wilderness. And the errand was nothing short of establishing a pure Christian society that would usher in the reign of Christ. The famous American Puritan John Winthrop uh, went so far as appropriating Christ's own language to his people to describe their project, saying, we shall become a city upon a hill. And this idea of American Christianity bearing this unique commission from God carried on into the revolutionary era and the founding of the country. It certainly uh, looked differently than the Puritans' original vision because of the influence of the Enlightenment and so forth. But nevertheless, uh, the majority of the founders established our country with an eschatological vision of success. I'm currently working on a 
a dissertation proposal on American founder Elias Boudinot. And what is unmistakable in his writings is he truly believed America had a divinely appointed millennial destiny. So here's the point I'm trying to make. The American exceptionalism was embedded within American Christianity from the beginning. And although I find much agreement with Puritan thought and American founders like Boudinot, of course I do, this is an area that I think deserves our critique. Simply put, they thought too highly of themselves and too highly of their project. They wrongly assumed that they were at the center of God's providence over history in a way that is akin to Israel's role in the Old Covenant. As if America is this special nation with a special calling and a special destiny from God. And to this very day, American Christianity, particularly American Protestant evangelicalism, still struggles with that same hubris. American Christians tend to view America as Israel rather than Babylon. Meaning as the promised land, not the land of our exile. So the way we invoke um, Old Testament promises and prophecies as though they apply to America and not the church. The way we view American politicians through the lens of Israel's story comparing Donald Trump to King Cyrus, for example. The way we still obsess over uh, cultural circumstances and their implications for the end times as if what is unfolding in America is what determines the unfolding of history. We just can't shake this historical fallacy of American exceptionalism fused together with the Christian faith. The only difference is that America as a Christian nation has moved away from something that we were trying to create to something we are trying to recapture. I think of the 1980s uh, moral majority movement that sought to reestablish America's identity and mission as uniquely Christian. Ronald Reagan, the political hero of that era. I'm a fan of Reagan, but he repeatedly used the exact same language as the original Puritans by calling America a city upon the hill. And now today, enthralled in the battle of culture war, this fallacy of American Christianity is being exploited by politicians for political power. We're being played. Recently, Eric Trump, son of President Trump, tweeted a picture of a gathering of evangelicals in North Carolina with this is the caption, quote, amazing afternoon with hundreds of evangelicals. My father will, all caps, always protect God, faith, and religious liberty in America. Donald Trump will always protect God, as if God needs the protection of America or any American politician. It's just heretical hubris. And so from the beginning ambitions to create a Christian nation to our present ambition to recapture a Christian nation, the fallacy of American Christianity is the idea of a Christian nation itself. And let me briefly show you why this fallacy has failed us. I want to speak to its harmful consequences for both Christians and the Christian witness. First to Christians. The consequence of Christian nationalism is the same consequence of all idolatry. Make no mistake, one's country and culture can absolutely become an idol. In fact, it's one of the most common idols we humans turn to. But the reason why national and political idolatry is so dangerous is that it tends to be an acceptable form of idolatry, especially for Americans. 
And the most dangerous idols are not the ones that we see and condemn, but the ones that go unnoticed in their embrace. But like all forms of idolatry, the idol will always ruin the idolater. If we turn to America for our identity, our hope, our protection, our comfort, our prosperity, whatever longing that is meant to be found in God alone, if we turn to America with these expectations, then we are destined to be left in the ruins of our idol's implosion. I think this is what is behind the pervasive Christian paranoia and outrage in our culture right now. They sense the collapse of America as a Christian nation and frantically struggle to preserve the last vestiges of a Christian nationalism. But what if the whole category, from its original Puritan doctrine to the current MAGA doctrine, is a faulty worldview that does not fit within the Christian worldview? What if Christian nationalism is antithetical to Christian virtue? And American Christianity needs to respond to this disorienting cultural moment, not by digging in our heels for a culture fight, but by reimagining our identity as exiles in what we wrongly presumed was the promised land. And here's the thing. Laying down that idolatrous vision of Christian nation would ironically yield a nation that greater reflects the Christian worldview. What if our obsession with America as a Christian nation is a major hurdle in America actually being a nation influenced by Christianity? Here we come to this, uh, how this fallacy has failed, not just Christians, but the Christian witness. The issue with the America and Jesus thing that we've put together is that it sets up a problematic arrangement where to accept one, you must accept the other. And that has disastrous implications for gospel witness. We could talk at length about what this means internationally as American missionaries have unwittingly brought not just the gospel but American colonization to other cultures, meaning um, the message that to become a Christian is to become more American and so forth. A lot of implications about missions. But let's just talk about what it means for us here in the States. The most obvious example and the reason why this cultural moment is forcing so many to reevaluate the Christian relationship to America is what it means for America's black population. During President Trump's town hall interview this week, an African-American man uh, challenged the Make America Great Again doctrine by asking the president, when was America ever great for me? When was America ever great for my ancestors? Now, Trump evaded the question because, speaking candidly, there's no good answer to that question. And therein lies the problem for the Christian. If America is Jesus' nation, then it was Jesus who brought Africans over in slave ships. It was Jesus that brutalized them in the southern cotton fields. It was Jesus that segregated them during Jim Crow. It was Jesus that lynched, suppressed, discriminated. But cursed be that thought, right? Jesus is actually the one who sustained the black community while America sinned against them. So here's the point. When we unite Jesus to any nation, then we unite Jesus to critiques that belong to that nation but do not belong to Jesus. America is not above critique. America is not above confession. America is not above repentance. But Jesus is. Jesus is righteous. Jesus is perfect. He will never harm, 
as cultures and nations tend to harm. So the point I'm making is that if we maintain America is a Christian nation, then to embrace Christianity is to embrace an uncritical relationship with America. And that is adding a a preconditioned stumbling block to the gospel. So, for the sake of American Christians and for the sake of American Christian witness, we must renounce the notion of America as a Christian nation. Now, having said that, let me say this. I love the United States of America. I wholeheartedly believe in its constitution and its ideals. Every fallen civilization is a mess, and America is no different. But I, I'm biased, but I truly believe America is the best of the mess. <laughs> and I believe the reason for its greatness is because of its Christian influence. It's not a Christian nation, but it's a nation formed by Christianity. And in the next episode, we will explore that. But for now, let me close. Um, I think it'd be appropriate to commend to you the true kingdom of my citizenship. I love America, but not like I love my home. Let me tell you about my home. Let me tell you about my kingdom. Let me tell you about my king. This from the prophet Isaiah. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. He will bear this government. And his name shall be called, listen to this, oh, for politicians like this, his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. Meaning the more his government increases, the more peace, the more shalom shall increase. I can say a lot of great things about America, but I can't say that about America or any nation. Only the kingdom, only my king can and will give us a world like that. Thanks for listening. We'll be back soon. And I mean soon. I'm not going to take another month and a half off. We'll be back soon uh, for another episode of Every Square Inch. Every Square Inch.